Oh, good morning. Thank you. It's so nice to be with you today. So nice to be here in Jackson and just to have an opportunity to open up God's Word and do some study together. So this is a great, great day. So excited about how beautiful it's been. Isn't it been awesome? I'm waiting at the sun. Wow, fantastic. Well, we're talking about lamentation. And the hard part about lamentation is that it's not a cheery subject. Uh, It's difficult. And I think at the heart of lamentation many times, many times when we're coming to lament, the issue is loss. And so I'm really excited about today's passage. We're in Lamentations chapter 3. And Lamentations chapter 3 talks about loss. In fact, it's one of the big ideas that we want to look at. And you know what? Right at the beginning, I'm going to give you what the theme is of this message. Okay? It's this. Lament your loss, turn, and embrace God. Lament your loss. It's appropriate. It's perfectly appropriate to lament your loss. Turn and embrace God. Okay? And I'd like to explain uh, how that comes together, that big idea because there's five parts to our passage, and we'd like it to look at those five parts. But to start with the idea about loss, I'd like to give you a couple of examples. And so if I could have the pictures up front, I'd like to look at those. Um, can we kill this front set of lights? Would that be all right? That would be great. Good. Um, <clears throat> I was pulling out, this is my dad, Anthony's grandfather, and I was pulling out a couple of comparison pictures And uh, this is my oldest daughter, Abby, who's three, and Kasia, who was one at that time. And as I was pulling out this picture, I kind of felt this uh, this feeling like, I'd love to go back to those days. It was so wonderful when they were little people like that, three and one. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I, I've loved my kids at every age. It's, they're wonderful, but that time was so precious. And then I realized it's never coming back. It's gone forever. And I felt kind of an aching right here, like uh, if I could bring it back, I would love it, but I can't. Second example is with my dad. There's my dad, powerful man in his prime, loved to work 12, 16, 18-hour days. I could never remember him ever turning to me and saying, I just want to relax today. That's what I would say to him. Dad, chill. I'm just going to relax today. And then I got my list of chores that was about this long with the expectation that they would all be done that day. So Dad never relaxed. He was a man of power. And... Now here he is with Abby's oldest daughter, Tegan, who's four. And I cropped the picture pretty close, but you can see that dad's in a wheelchair here. There's the the wheel. He's in a care facility because his legs don't work anymore. And he hates being there. He'd rather be at home. He'd rather be independent. He doesn't want someone having to take him to the toilet every 40 minutes, 50 minutes, every hour, because that's what he has to do. He cannot care for himself in that way. Can't really use the telephone because his hands, as you can see, are as big as like fish, and they work about that, that well as well. They just, just don't have the dexterity anymore. 
And so his loss is his independence. Third example of uh, loss is this video that we'd like to show you uh, from uh, a woman named Laura Cusick. Laura, could you share with us today what has it been like, uh, beyond being a teacher, to be you these last uh, three or four years? Um, First, I just want to say, when I was preparing this, um, it brought up a lot these past four years that I've kind of forgotten or put away. And I was sitting over there praying before I came up because I began to feel very vulnerable. And I wasn't going to tell you that I felt very vulnerable. (laughs) And God said, remember, you're just talking to your family, that this is your Kettlebrook family. You're just talking to your brothers and your sisters, and everything's going to be okay. So that put me at ease. And he told me to tell you that. So I did. So just remember, you're my brothers and sisters, and God's watching. So. (laughs) Um, I am a teacher. I love what I do. It's really who I am inside and outside of school. I have a wonderful family. I have wonderful friends. I have a wonderful church family. I have actually a very blessed life. Um, I just have this one thing. Um, About four years ago, my life started to completely change. I started getting unexplained numbness in um, my lower extremities, starting at my feet. And it started to slowly climb up, um, started at my toes and started to climb up my feet. And um, it had some pain in it, and I didn't know what was going on. So I started to go to doctors and specialists, and they started testing me, some painful tests, some not painful tests. And I went through all this different blood work and every test you could possibly imagine, only to have them look at me and tell me they didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, My walking became more difficult. Um, School became more difficult. Um, And I became more tired. And my mom and I thought, okay, new plan. For those of you who don't know, my mom's a retired nurse practitioner. So for the medical field, she thought, okay, we just need to go somewhere else. So we went up to Mayo. And we thought, we're not going to stop here. So I got into Mayo saw more specialists, did more tests, and as all this was going on, the numbness went up my legs more, and it started in my hands, which started this terrible pain in my hands as well. Started the numbness in my fingertips and started to work its way up. Um, Kids are amazing. I teach first grade. They don't understand what's going on. I started doing stairs differently, one at a time, so I wouldn't fall. They thought it was a game. (laughs) So they started doing the stairs Miss K way. They didn't know I was trying not to fall, and they're sweet. Um, I started losing, like, fine motor skills in my hands and things like that. I couldn't tie their shoes anymore. And I couldn't fix my little girl's hair anymore when their hair would fall out. And I'd send them next door to my coworkers who are wonderful. Um, And they did more tests and I got a general diagnosis at Mayo. And they put me on this 13-week infusion treatment where I missed some school. 
and it was a really hard treatment. I don't know if any of you have been on steroids, but it really hops you up. Um, and I went on like 1,000 milligrams, and I wouldn't sleep for a couple days, and then my body would crash, and I did that a couple times a week. But during that time, everyone formed around me, and we prayed a lot, and I felt so close to God. And we started another treatment after that, and I continued to get worse. And about a year later, I was still getting worse, so my mom and I thought we need a second opinion. So we went somewhere else for a second opinion. My hands were getting so bad that I actually spent a whole spring break just holding my hands. Um, And the pain was so bad that I actually took narcotics at night. And you don't know me, but I'm very against narcotics. Um, I don't want to get addicted to pain meds. Um, So for me to actually take a narcotic is a huge deal. Um, so I went to the second opinion. I had to wait a few months for the appointment. I just did that in um, January or beginning of February, I think. And he was amazing, very smart, read through all my records got all the tests, only to find out I was misdiagnosed. All my treatments um, were kind of worthless. Um, There is no treatment for what I have. There is no cure for what I have. I just have what I have. It is what it is. I will slowly get worse as time goes on. It will slowly move up my legs and slowly move up my arms. And um, that is where I'm sitting right now. That is where I'm lamenting right now. That is what I'm dealing with right now. Thanks, Laura, for sharing. So this is clearly not um, where you thought you'd be at this point. You worked really hard to become a teacher as a second career, um, got a great job, love it, and now you're facing this um, unchangeable diagnosis, and you're very young. So I know we've talked a lot through some ups and downs, and I'm wondering if you could share with us how, how are you processing all this? Um, through all this, I, my mom has been like my um, rock, and she gave me a lot of verses where God is holding my right hand, specifically Isaiah 41:13. Um, I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand, says to you, do not fear, I will help you. And the, the perfect story I can tell you is back to my 13-week infusion story. Um, everyone, I had tons of friends who came and sat with me during my infusions. I had prayer groups praying for me. 
I was so close to God during that time, and I just knew, knew in my heart God was going to cure me. I was all set up for the end of that 13 weeks. I was going to go up to Mayo, and they were going to say I had been cured. And I went up, got the test results, and they told me I had gotten worse. And I was so angry. I was so angry at God. And I had the biggest fight with God that I stopped talking to him. And it was a very dark time for me, but my problem was, this was my biggest problem, is when you have a big fight with your best friend, who do you go and talk to? (laughs) So I had no one to talk to because he is the one who I go to to talk to when I have no one else to talk to. So it was like the circle I was in because he's the one who I wanted to talk to. So, of course, I eventually came around and talked to him about him. And that is how I ended up working through it. And I kept reading my verses over and over again. And it was funny. I came to the realization he never promised to cure me. He promised to never leave me. He never said he would cure me. And through all this time, this wonderful family gave me this Run Collective CD with a song in there called Weep With Me. And they told me to play the song. And so I did. And that song we sang last week, which I have heard that song for a very long time now. And that song in there said that God is crying with you. And so when he's been holding my right hand, I realized he's been crying with me. He's my dad, and he's grieving with me, and he's upset with me, and he's not leaving me. He never promised to cure me. So even though God's, you're going through this rough time, and God's not leaving you, he's grieving with you. And he's feeling your pain. And that's when I came to the realization that even during those horrible times in your life, that you're going through, that I'm going through right now, he's just grieving with me. He's my dad. Just like any parent doesn't want to see your child in pain. He doesn't want to see me in pain. That's all I got. Thank you. Thank you for sharing um, and being honest and vulnerable with all of us. Okay, so we're talking about loss. Now, the book that we're looking at, the book of Lamentations, uh, chapter 3 we're in, and that's on pages... 574, or 575 and 576 in the Bibles underneath your, your chairs. Five portions of this. There's 66 verses, and we're not going to look at all 66 verses. We're going to break it into five sections, and what I've done is I've highlighted the key verses, I think, for each of those sections, except for the first one. The first one is 18 verses about loss. 
And what I did instead is I put the loss in my own words. And so we'll put it up here on the screen and let's walk through those. And maybe you can relate to one of these. Maybe you can relate to all of them. I'm not sure. But our writer has been through a horrific time. He's been part of a siege of his city for two years. The Babylonian army has surrounded the city for those two years. Food has been cut off. People are lying dead in the streets from starvation. And when, uh, after a period of time, there were reports of cannibalism. There was a break-in by the Babylonian army, and then there were more dead people in the streets because they slew a majority of the population. And so you have to ask yourself this question. What would it be like to walk with God through an experience of two years like that? He, this man has experienced every kind of loss. And yet, isn't it amazing that God didn't let that experience of those people, that horrible, horrible experience of suffering, he didn't let it be wasted, but it's been recorded. And for 2,600 years, people who have walked through suffering, people like you and like me, can go back to that passage and be comforted. It's amazing. So these first 18 verses are him saying, this is what I've lost. Let's look at those. Verse 1. I have no comfort. Verse 2, I do not sense the Lord's presence. Verse 3, the Lord's helping hand actually seems to be against me. Verse 4, I've lost my health, just like Laura shared. Verse 5, I'm discouraged. Verse 6, I've lost my sense of hope. Verse 7, I've lost my way out of trouble. Verse 8, I've lost confidence that my prayer is even heard. Verse 9, I've lost my sense of purpose and direction. Verses 10 and 11, I have no one to help me. Verse 12 and 13, I've lost a sense of inner well-being and peace. Verse 14, I'm a laughing stock. No one takes me seriously. Verse 15, I'm filled with bitterness. Verse 16, I am crushed, broken in spirit. Verse 17, I've lost most, if not all of my possessions. Verse 18, I am completely without hope even hope in the Lord. So here is a man who has gone through this tremendous experience, and it's there for us. It's there for us to say, I've experienced loss. I know what that's like. I can lament in that loss. And like Laura said, God's there with us saying, yes, lament. Let's lament. Second idea then we want to look at is hope, the writer's hope. And that's verses 19 to 33. If we can put that up, please. Starting with verse 22 is kind of the big idea that we want to capture. The writer's hope is three things that are great. God's love is great. God's 
faithfulness is great. God's compassion is great. Because of the Lord's great love, His loyal love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will not wait for him. And then on to verse 33, 31. For people are not cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of humankind. Let's talk first about his great love. His great love for us is steady, it's faithful, it's loyal, it never changes. His faithfulness to us is great. A few weeks ago, on a Monday morning, I went to make my lunch before going to work. There was nothing in the refrigerator. It's enough to make my half a sandwich. Okay, I guess it's going to be light today. That'll be enough. It'll get me through. No carrots, no apples. No thing for yogurt. No problem. I'll make it. I won't starve to death. So I went to work, and here a guy had brought a big thing of Italian beef and fresh buns. I had two big sandwiches. I didn't even touch my lunch, my sandwich that I brought along. God in that situation made me feel like I was the only guy on the planet. He had noticed the little detail in my life, and then he met me in what my need was. And over and over and over again, I see his great faithfulness in noticing the little details in my life and meeting me in that place. Now, in this particular passage, it says, they are new every morning. You know what it's intimating there? The idea there is that every morning I'm meeting with And that's been my experience is that I meet with him and I read through the scriptures and he takes a passage of scripture and he knows exactly where I'm at. He knows what I'm feeling. He knows what I'm up against. And that passage of scripture goes, Steve, here's what you're feeling. And it would be like, that's right. That's exactly what I'm feeling. Oh, Lord, you're so good. And so every morning as I meet with him, he and his great faithfulness opens up the scriptures to comfort my heart and to encourage me. Amazing. Great is his faithfulness. And then great is his compassion. And what you have to understand about compassion is that the idea of the word there is like a mother with a small child, a baby, just like the one leaving now, who is saying, Mom, give me a little bit of comfort here. What's going on? And Mom saying, That's all I was made for. It's just to comfort you and help you to feel better. Great is his compassion. But you know, I wanted to find an illustration for these three greats. Great love, loyal love, great faithfulness, great compassion. And I couldn't find anything. Every, every metaphor, every comparison would break down unless you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, then you see Great love for me. Great faithfulness to me. Great compassion toward me. I've got to show you this passage. We, we need to look at it on page 512. This is Isaiah 49, verses 14 to 16. Just to underscore this idea of Jesus being 
great in those three ways. Page 512, Isaiah 49, verses 14 to 16. But Zion says, but the people of Israel, or just people in general say this, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And God responds, are you kidding? Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Even though she may forget, even though she may forget, I will not forget you. Ever, 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 ever. See, verse 16, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Do you see what's happened there? Jesus Christ in his palms has the nail marks that was caused by me and by you. That Roman cross, that was for me as a sinner. That was for you as a sinner. And so, like in the song, when I was screaming at him as his enemy and saying, crucify, crucify, crucify him, he came up to me as his enemy and he said, "Um, I'd like to take your place on the cross. Even your enemy? You would take the place of your enemy? So great and loyal is your love? Yes. Yes, I'd like to take your place. But, but I can't help myself. Sin has got me captured. My compassion for you is great. Like a mother for her child. My faithfulness is steadfast. I will never change. Great is Jesus. And for all our eternity, on the marks are his hands, is written my name, is written your name in the palms of his hands so that he will never forget you. Never forget me. For what he accomplished on our behalf. Great is his love, loyal. Great is his faithfulness, steady. Great is his compassion. Big is his heart for you. And then we got to look at verse 33. I want to get t-shirts made up for this, verse 33. Verse 33, For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of humankind. He doesn't. He doesn't willingly do that. It's kind of like you have to think about my situation with my dad. Was it my maniacal plan? Ooh, Dad, we're going to put you into a care facility and make you miserable. We'd love to see you afflicted. We'd love to see you grieve the loss of your independence in your home. Was that my desire? No. He was a falling hazard. He could have fallen on my mom. He could have hurt them both. It was a bad situation. I was not willing that he go to the care facility. It was just in his best interest to keep him safe, to keep her safe. And now they're living in two different places. And he suffers with the affliction, the grief of, I'm never going home again. Same way, God will bring us to affliction and grief, just like Laura said, wasn't his desire wasn't his will, 
but he's willing to meet us in that place. Our loss, our hope, and now our repentance. Let's look at this next slide. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We've sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. The idea here, I think, is we just want to do what the text says. We just want to be obedient to it. We want to take our heart and we want to put it before the Lord and we want to say, Lord, help me understand. And most times, he will forgive us. But on occasion, there's going to be a time where there's a sense like, you know, something isn't quite right. Something's not quite right in our relationship, Lord. What is it? Now, the temptation is for you and me is to take a stick and start beating ourselves over the head and saying, oh, it's probably because I'm, uh, I'm lazy, or it's probably because I'm a materialist, or it's probably because I'm... And we try to come up with some reason why that relationship is broken. May I say to you, we're not God. It's not our job to figure out why the relationship is broken. It's his job to tell us. I I sat with a young man who was doing this the other day, and he would just... And I was like, okay, um, are you done? Is that necessary? Instead of you assuming that you know what the problem is between you and God, let's ask him. Let's do what the text says. Let's lift our heart before him and say, Lord, would you show me? Would you show me how to be in a deeper relationship with you? Would you show me if there's something in me that's a little offensive, that's troubling our relationship? Please? And he's faithful to show us that. So repentance. Let's take it to him. Loss, it's appropriate to lament our loss. Hope, turn in repentance. And now we want to embrace God. And this fourth section is called suffering. He talks about suffering and he gives us a wonderful picture for that. Roger, if we can go to that. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, do not fear. Do you see what loss is like? Loss is like this great pit with slippery slopes up the side. I want to get out of it. My dad would love to stand up out of his wheelchair and said, this is just a bad dream. I'm out of here. Get rid of this wheelchair. Stand up and walk home. He never can. He can never get out of the pit. It's what he has now to live with. That's what's so hard about loss. Probably the greatest loss that I've ever heard of were beautiful, godly friends of ours who lost two of their children in a fiery car crash. Their son burned his arms and burned his front, his face, trying to rescue the two children. He was able to save one of their children and lost the other two. 
So over the years, when the anniversaries come up, the birthdays, the memories, and this dear family remains in the pit and says, I hate this pit. I hate the emotion that I feel in this. I hate it. I want to escape this loss that I have. It's killing me. And they say, Lord, take away the pit. What he says and what Laura said is, I'm not taking away the pit. I am giving you myself. I am not taking away the pit. I am giving you myself. In fact, I'm coming down into the pit with you and I'm telling you, do not fear. I am your comfort. I am your source of strength. Did you hear what Laura said? In the darkest moments that she experienced, that's when Jesus was closest to her. I have heard people who have suffered over and over and over again say, I'd be willing to go back to that suffering just to experience Jesus that intimately again. The greatness of his presence is why he gave himself. So that if you're suffering loss and you're like, oh, oh, he's there wanting to embrace you, wanting to be in the pit with you, wanting to be your comfort and your joy. Such like you could say like Laura, I'm actually thankful for this experience because it's drawn Jesus closer to me. Last idea. We've talked about loss. We've talked about hope. talked about repentance. We talked about being in the pit with suffering that loss. Last thing is prayer. Now, in your notes that you got this morning, um, I said that the prayer starts at verse 58. It actually starts at 57. So just make that change uh, in your notes. But here's his prayer. His prayer is, Lord, repay that guy who did this to me. Now, suffering happens to godly people and ungodly people. There's no rhyme or reason to suffering. You can't really explain who it's going to happen to. And sometimes that suffering that we have is self-inflicted, and sometimes it's inflicted by an outsider. That horrible car crash I just talked to you about was caused by a drunk driver. So now, I'm in the pit of loss. And I'm suffering the emotion, and it's tearing me apart. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in the pit, like Laura did, I sit in the corner, cross my arms, my lip comes out, and I say to Jesus, I hate this pit, I hate that guy who put me here, and I hate you. I don't want to be here. And what gets in the way is that guy who inflicted that pain on me, he's gotten me twice. Once he's put me in the pit, and secondly now because I'm mad at him, I want to get back at him, and I'm bitter, 
I can't embrace Jesus. And so what our writer is showing us is he's saying, pray. Leave it at God's feet. Trust him that he will judge to his satisfaction. He will judge to my satisfaction and leave it there. Leave it there. But for me, embrace Jesus who has come into the pit to hold on to. To be in a relationship with. Because too often what happens, folks, is we say, you know what? Until that guy gets justice, I'm going to just cross my arms and I'm going to be mad. And does that help? Did it help you get out of the pit? No. Did it help in any way? Basically what you're saying in that situation is, I can't trust God to judge. If he allowed me to be in this kind of situation, I can't trust him to judge that person and care for that person in a just and righteous way. And what I'm saying to you and what the writer is saying is, he can be trusted. Turn it over to him in prayer and leave it. And embrace him. Embrace him in the pit of your suffering. The big idea, lament because of loss is perfectly appropriate. Lament. Grieve over your loss. Then turn in repentance and embrace the Lord Jesus in the pit of your suffering. The sweetness of His presence. The greatness of His love. The greatness of His faithfulness. The greatness of His compassion is tender and gentle and sweet. That's where you'll meet Him. That's where you'll enjoy Him. Great is our God. Jesus, we are so grateful to the, for this day, for the privilege that is ours to know you. I just can't believe it that you have written my name on the palms of your hands. Why would you do that? Why would you treat your enemy like a long-lost friend? Why would you lay down your life for someone who scorned you and spit on you and didn't want anything to do with you? Why? Thank you for your great, loyal love. Thank you for your great faithfulness, which treats me like I'm the only guy on the planet. Thank you for your compassion, which is even better than a mother to a child. Great are you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for hearing us now. We bless you in your name. Amen.